of today's daf is Kuf Yud Zayin 117. We're a little behind, but not as behind as we were before. We take up on Kuf Yud Zayin Amud Bet, about 20 lines down. It's lines us with the word Hasifanim, um, and we're dealing with uh, different types of uh, practices of uh, how you... Um, uh, donkey drivers and uh, uh, people sailors and so on when um, something has to be done to save the ship uh, how do you distribute the uh, cost um, so it says that if it's an issue about casting off the weight so you distribute the it based on the different weight of the cargoes that everybody has brought on board and now it says uh, but not to change from the normal practice practice among uh, sailors or ship owners um, and the ship owners are allowed um, of the Losina, anybody who loses a ship, supposedly they went in like a convoy of ships um, to do some trade or whatever they were doing. And uh, so if one person's ship gets lost, right, because those things happen on a regular basis, so rather than it just being that person's bad luck, they all will share in the responsibility. And therefore, Shekomishav de Losina, Yamod Losina Cheret. Yamid Losina Cheret still replaces ship. Avdalo Bekustia, however, if it was lost, and even though they say that, implicit or what we should assume are the parameters are, that if it's lost in negligence, ain't my medium, then you would not replace it. Shalom, because you're not with negligence, my medium, though. You do replace it. And let's say this one guy, he took his ship, and he went to a place, or uh, boat, or whatever ship, I think makes you think of like the Queen Elizabeth. If he took his boat um, to a place where it's not normally where the other boats were going, the not normal route, okay, then ain't my medium. So then you do not replace. That's seen as a type of a negligence. Or maybe it's seen as he's breaking off from the group, and part of the idea is that you're, it, that it's replacing is because you're part of the group. Okay, so the Mars says Pshita, obviously, that that's you know not part of the deal. No, the case would be that in the spring, where the uh, water runs very high because uh, the waters in the river, whatever, are coming off from the melted snow, so there's a very high uh, water level. So people are only like one uh, unit um, away from the uh, edge of the sh- of the shore. And in Tishrei, they distance themselves to where the water level is lower they distance themselves two units away from the shore okay um, and this ship is going in uh, it's, it's, the, it's the spring where the ships are normally sailing closer to the shore and it's going more in the center of the uh, river um, where the ships go when it's uh, you know in the, uh, in the uh, winter time okay or in the, in the fall time so he is going to a place that's not where the other ships are going but it would, it's a normal place where ships go at a different season, okay? So in that case, now of course, Dafka during the springtime, it's very dangerous to go there because of the high water level, but it's not completely unusual for ships to be going there, or it's normal for ships to be going there at another time in the, in the year. So I might have thought, Davshe Nukit, the Azio, it's just following, it's like its habit. I mean, you know, I once was asking somebody for directions where to go somewhere, and, you know, I was borrowing their car, and it was a place that they went, like I said, how do you get to this shopping list? Just go in the car, it'll find, you know, it'll know where to go. So anyway, <laughs> you know, so maybe the ship just knows where to go because it goes there all the time. Anyway, the point is that it's not crazy. It's a normal place where the ships go, except not during this time of year. Kamash Milan, that no, that's not an excuse. In this time, people, are, the ships are closer to the shore, and if you go further from the shore, then it's negligence, and your ship does not get replaced. Okay? So, Tadarabadan, now we talk. What?
Do you think it's possible Rashi's reading in European like like realities? I mean, like in Babylonia, the shlagim are really melting. Yeah, I mean, the Gemara discussed it all discussed it all the time by mikvah concerns or whatever. I mean, I think that's that's a regular constant that the water level in in rivers goes up significantly in the spring. Yeah, because of melted snow. A caravan that was going to the wilderness. So Amad guys v'tarfa and some troops came and they plundered it. The Amad echad and one guy got up and he decided that he was going to take on the troops and he managed to save the uh, the uh, caravan. So then it doesn't like oh I saved it I get to keep all of them all of the uh, wealth of the caravan because otherwise it would have been taken. No, it gets equally distributed. It still belongs to all the owners of the caravan even though you did a wonderful thing and you saved it for all of us. But he says I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight off you know these uh, troops but anything I save I'm keeping for myself. Then it works. He gets to keep it for himself. So he says what's the logic here? Hechidami, what's the case? If it's type of uh, money that could be that you know the, everybody else they could put forth the effort and they could fight off the caravan and save it, so it's not yet hefter because it could be still saved. It's rec- you know it's seen as salvageable. That's what we've been discussing until now. And then the uh, and then the tr- stuff is not considered hefter. So in that case, if you will save it, I don't have to. Who cares what he says? The stuff still belongs to the owners. It was salvageable, so he did the nice thing. He did it all by himself, but it belongs to the original owners. He doesn't get to keep it. He's a low yachalahatil. If it wasn't salvageable and he did some great act of bravery, but under normal circumstances it wasn't, then it's automatically hefker. And a few relation on even if he doesn't say anything, he should be allowed to keep it. So Amarami Barchama Shutafi Maskinan. We're talking about partners. Okay? So it's they both jointly own the property. Okay? now what so then how is it relevant what he says? In these types of circumstances, one partner can basically say without the guy agreeing, you know what, I'm leaving the partnership. Like we're about to be attacked or whatever, I'm operating up for on myself for myself, I am sort of separating from the partnership. So how does that work? Amar Pali. If he basically says, I'm gonna save it for myself, then basically I mean the other guy isn't there. No, he's there, but it doesn't matter. I have the I have the right to say under these circumstances that uh, you know that I'm just that, we, that we're splitting. Well, it. Well, isn't there? Then does he have a right to do whatever he wants? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know who he hears to make a declaration, but yes, he has a unilateral right in this case. Okay, so if he says I'm operating for myself, okay, so then this would basically work in a case where it would be like Eno Yachalahatio. Okay, so in case of Eno Yachalahatio, it's Hefker. Okay, so he basically says, but okay, so all this stuff is Hefker. He basically says, I'm no longer seeing myself as a partner to my friend regarding this, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, with this uh, property. It's all Hefker. The, the, the troops are, are coming and going to take it. From here on in, it's every man for himself. And in that case, if he goes ahead and he saves it, he gets to keep it because... He's separating. Separating, not we... It's confusing. We're, we're, split, we're splitting the partnership, not we're right. splitting the money. Yeah, 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 so we're since we're splitting the partnership and I'm operating now on my own behalf, yeah. And the stuff is hefker. Right. Now, if I save it, I'm saving it all for myself. Yeah. Low Amar, but if I don't say anything, so even if the stuff is hefker because it's a normal case of Eno Yachalahatio, but okay, but I'm still operating as part of our partnership. And therefore, Low Pali had not split the partnership, so since I'm operating, if I don't say anything, the implicit point is I'm operating on behalf of the two of us. Okay? So yes, the stuff is hefker, but if you don't say anything, then you're operating on behalf of the two of you because the two of you were in partnership. All right, so that's one read. Um, um, in a similar t- approach, we're talking about workers. So it's basically now the idea that we split Le'emtza, it was funny because it sounds like I actually have a stake in that property, 
But the similar point is, is that I'm in your employee. I'm working here for Michael. Okay? If I don't say anything, so again, it's going to get t- taken by the troops. Under normal circumstances, it's not salvageable. It's considered Hefker. But if I don't say anything, then anything I'm doing, because I was hired by Michael to come to watch, you know, his gold as we went through, you know, as we took the, uh, you know, the caravan through the desert. So if I don't say anything, then I'm acting on behalf of my employer and I'm saving it for, you know, for Michael's sake. Okay? But if I do say something, I say I'm doing it for myself, it means I can say, okay, I quit my job, I'm no longer working for you, now I'm working for myself and I get to keep it for myself. Okay? Line along the way. <laughs> exactly. Okay? That a worker, you know, one of the workers writes, we were talking about the other day, okay, a worker can quit his job even in the middle of the day. You hired him for the day, it's not indentured servitude, okay, he's allowed to quit even during the middle of the day. But if I haven't quit my job yet, you know, then if I don't say anything, I'm still working for my, my, my employer. And therefore, if I'm not saying anything, I just say that I'm saving it for my employer. If I do say I'm saving it for myself, it means forget this job, every man for himself now. Okay? Now, but when he does, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, leave the uh, reverse, not reverse, you know, well, whatever, right? reverse himself, meaning when he changes his mind, when he basically quits his job, there's a reason you're allowed to quit your job in the middle of the day. You're no longer working for your employer. Um, so everybody is a slave here. You can't be a slave. You're not a slave to a slave, right? Similar to the obviously negative, you know, rhetoric that Gemara has or, you know, discourse that Gemara has against somebody who sells himself into slavery, even though it's limited slavery it's for six years. So here the idea is we don't want to turn, um, you know, being, you know, being an employee into being enslaved to your, to your boss. So it's a very powerful statement, right? Right, slave to your job. I don't know what the, you know, I, I am sure that in different societies, I don't know what the reality was in the time of the Gemara, like in Roman society, but no, I'm sorry, you know, when you signed a contract, you're not allowed to leave in the middle of the contract. And here, Chazawar, very much, you can leave, you know, you quit your job even in the middle of the day. Okay. Uh, so this is when you actually, even if you sign a contract? Yeah. Just a regular. Just well, there could be penalty clauses. Agreement. You guys can work for me today, and then you. No, no. I think there could be penalty clauses. There could be consequences, but you're entitled to quit. You can't force me to work. Okay. So the Gemara says, When you are, if the case is that, like we've been discussing before, that the stuff could be salvaged, but only with effort. So in that case. So how does it matter? It's still not Hefter. So Golidaite Laatmo, Lo Golidaite Laemsa. So if you make it clear that uh let me just uh Rashi says Oh, so Rashi says in this case, that comes back to Michael. Where are the other? Where are the other owners of the of the of the stuff? So in this case, where it only could be salvaged with effort, if I say I'm going to keep it to myself, and Michael here is a part, you know, also owns some of the property, he doesn't say no, you're not, buddy. That's my stuff. He just hears it and is quiet. That means that he basically feels like, well, what the heck? The stuff is lost anyway. So he essentially hearing that and being quiet is accepting it as lost and implicitly yeush and being masculine. Okay. But if he, but if I don't say anything, then then since it is it is potentially salvageable, we don't assume it's after, and therefore the owners still retain it. Okay, that is the end of all those cases about something that's about to be lost, its status of being hefker or not. Now we continue with the next mishnah. Um, back to Gzela. Okay, you basically went ahead and stole a field from somebody else, and of course the question is how exactly you steal a field? Like you know, you claim it for yourself, you keep the other person off, you didn't physically take it away and to what degree do normal laws of Gzela apply 
So this Mishnah initially starts by assuming that maybe it does seem like normal laws of Gzela apply. The Natlua Masikin, and some uh, bandits or um, take it, okay, away from you, just, you know, shows you, you know, you steal somebody who steal from you. Imakas Medinahi, if it basically is a case where everybody in the, uh, you know, in the county here is literally country, but whatever. Anybody, you know, everybody in this area is having their fields seized by, you know, by, by bandits or whatever, by, you know, Mahunot's troops, whatever, invading armies, whatever the case might be. So it's not you specifically this field, everybody's field. In that case, you say to the owner, all right, you know what? Here's your field back. Okay. It's in the hand of these now troops. Okay. However, if they... No, they took it now. Took it yeah, they took it already now. So, so you took it, you owe the owner, you have to replace it to the owner, or whatever, but now it's in the hands of these uh, invading troops that have now seized everybody's fields in the, in the region. So you can say, look, you know, presumably what you're really saying is that even if I had done nothing, your field would have been taken by them, so at the end of the day, I really didn't do anything to you, so we treat so it as case, if I did nothing. Your favorite case of the guy being held up, oh, here's a $20, yeah. <laughs> bandits are like at every street corner robbing Well, not, no, because the quest, part of the question is, is how much is this part of the idea that Karka is not stolen, okay? Which is, the Gemara really, the basic issue that's in this Mishnah is not really explored by the Gemara. We're going to see in a minute, the Gemara is going to use it to take off to a very fascinating and different issue, but not the real point of this Mishnah. But if it was taken by these troops because of me, because they basically, you know, have some eye on me, I owe them money, I whatever, and they took it because of, of my, because they perceived it to be mine, or somehow they were attracted to it because of me, and it's all my fault, then I have to place it. So the funny thing here is why exactly, first of all what's the difference whether I'm to blame or not to blame usually is whether it's considered to be damaged or not what difference does that make? But there maybe you could say it's sort of like if you remember before like the flip of a case like you know if money is, in, you know, is sort of discontinued is discontinued everywhere does it seem to be visible or not visible so here maybe it's like a little bit of the flip if everybody's field is being taken so it's not like this is considered damaged this is the reality for everybody you know if it's just this field that's being taken then it is considered damaged relative to everybody else's. You could somehow make it about whether it's considered to be the same field, considered damaged relative to other people's. But, but bottom line is that I thought fields weren't stolen. I thought Karka wasn't stolen. I just walk away. It doesn't, taking your Karka doesn't come with any liability. And this mission seems to seem, feel like Karka is stolen. But then what's the difference between these two scenarios? So it's really not clear what's going on in the mission. You could read it as a type of more of a Garmi type of a case, which is sort of, uh, maybe I'm saying it because what's going to come up in the Gemara, as you'll see, that technically Karka isn't stolen and you just walk away. But Lemaisa if basically it's your fault this, this army seized it because of you and it's your fault or whatever you know then we basically make you pay because it's your you know you're to blame for the damage essentially that occurred alright so, but it's, it's not really clear what's going on in the Mishnah why is one case of Rachel Chalifanecha why is the other case not whatever happened to the fact that you really Kark is not seen as Nigzelas as able to be stolen as leading to liabilities um, so again the best I could say is that if you're to blame and this person now doesn't have their field back because his troop is on it because you got involved, that's maybe some type of a Garmi responsibility anyway, and that's similar to where the Gemara is going to go, and maybe that's why I'm saying it. Yeah. So by the, your logic, if you stole my field, so if the troops are going because not because of you, because of me, then you can also show each other. Absolutely. Okay. Amar of Nachman. Anyway, let's see where the Gemara goes with this. Amar of Nachman by Yitzhak. Mantani Masikin Lomishtabesh, Umantani Masikin Lomishtabesh. Whether your gift is Masikin with a sin or Masikin with a tzad, what did I say? With a sin, with a 
Zamech, thank you, with a Tzadi, either one is an acceptable text of this Mishnah. It's not a corrupt text. Go by the second one. Matzik was a Tzadi. Right? There you go. Right? And you know, in siege and in uh, siege. I don't know, whatever it is. Anyway, but you're being besieged by troops. So Matzikin are troops that are besieging and seize, seizing the property. That the uh, that Tzlatzal will uh, despoil your field. So what does that mean? Despoil. So Matadinina and Yachtanina will will inherit it. Saka'a. So what's Saka'a? That's the word Masikin. So I just said the word Saka'a is a type of a locust. Okay? And therefore, it means that, you know, locusts, they, 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 they cover the fields and they just, you know, move in. They're invasive and they take stuff that isn't theirs. They eat up all the grain. So therefore, it's sort of making, you know, using as a, as a metaphor here, they're like locusts and that's the word Masikin. Tosa says the word Saka'a means like, like to rise up and it really means like the enemy. It doesn't mean locusts. It's not, it's not a metaphor. It's more literal. Okay. I understand, but anyway, question is technically what, specifically what the word means. Moving on, Imagmus Gazan Chayev. If it's the Gazan's fault that it was taken, then he has to reimburse. Hechidami. What does it mean? It's his fault. If it's a, if it, all it's saying is, is that these troops or whatever they are seized just his land, the land of the Gazan, including the land he stole, and it didn't seize other people's lands. That's implicit from the beginning of the Mishnah. Imakas Medina if it's occurring to everybody you're, you walk away so implicit in that is Elo if it's not happening to everybody if it's just happening to you no you don't walk away you have to reimburse so why did you have to spell it out and of course the Mishnah often spells out both sides but the, the way Tosus explains the question is why didn't the Mishnah just say Imakas Medina Homer Abesha Chafanecha Imlav you know uh, you know you know he's Chayev why did it say Imach Mesagatlin even that's not such a big question it's just a parallel phrasing but obviously the Gemara is getting somewhere. So the Gemara and this is going to be the focus of the whole daf, where the case is not just that bandits moved in and seized his property, but basically it's not a case of gazelle at all. Some bandits came up, or troops, or so, you know, and and uh, said, "Show us where Reuven's fields are. We want to seize Reuven's fields." And me, being a good citizen, I point out where Reuven's fields are, and then they go and they seize Reuven's fields. So that's a different case. It's not about Kazel at all. Machmas Hagazan. Why it's calling me Gazan? Not clear. We'll see in a minute. But anyway, if I basically point out the field and the field gets seized, I'm liable. It's so a very different scenario. You're the only one who knew. Like they couldn't. No, but I, I don't matter if I'm the only one. I was the one who did it. Okay. So, means he told God. Yeah, he showed. He pointed it out. He pointed it out. Right. Right. If the like army is asking you where something is, you're going to risk your life. Well, so that's what we're going to get to. We're going to get to the question of whether you're onus or not onus. It's a big debate that we showed him. It's going to come up in a minute. Okay, so we're going to see that. Okay. So the says. Another way of saying this is So the first one it wasn't forced that your life was at stake. Maybe the first one they were just asking you for a favor. Okay, but here they're holding a gun to your head. Okay. Show us Arase. Show us your land. Okay. So he said, Oh, here's all my land, so they seized your land, but you pointed out the one you stole among your land. So then, you know, you shouldn't have pointed that one out. That was the guy that wasn't yours, that was something you stole. Okay, but the bottom line is in both of these 
these cases, and we have yet to have a case where it's never explicit yet, because you could have, you, you didn't have to point out the stolen one is your land. The first case, it wasn't clear they were holding a gun to your head. Right now, all we have the idea is, we'll get to the case about being really forced in a minute, but you're just volunteering, you could have said, I don't know, you point it out, and therefore you're high for the damage that's done. So the question is, what type of liability is this? And Tosa, the Gemara's going to say much later on, but Tosa mentioned, brings it in here, it's a type of a garmi, right? It's really just grama, it's indirect. It's not considered zela, it's more considered mazik. You have troops now that are staying on your field, right? In a way, the field isn't even damaged. So anyway, it's a type of a garmi, but this is now the big case of... of now, this is more broadly, I'm sure you've all heard of the concept of, of, a, of a moser, right? Yeah. Somebody who hands over a Jew to the non-Jewish authorities. Here you're being moser their land. And a little bit we're going to get to the idea that if you start by being moser their land, does it ultimately lead to them, their lives also being endangered once the government starts getting its claws. Like once the mafia takes a little bit of an interest into your business, you know, not good for any, not good. So anyway, um, but here it seems to be it's a type of a garmi. You are the cause of it, it directly happened as a Results, you're liable. Now the Rashi table here, hey Okay, so now the Rashi says like this: Who gave the So a certain guy pointed out the uh, a, a, a pile of wheat that belonged to the Reish Kalusa, which is you know the Jewish head of the government, but they would be asked by the non-Jewish authorities. Okay. Also, the Kamdrav Nachman, the Kamdrav Nachman actually was related to the Reish Kalusa. You got to pay for that pile of wheat that you handed over to the authorities um, from the, the you know Yosef of Yosef. So if Yosef was sitting behind Rav Huna Barchia, Yosef Rav Huna Barchia came to Rav Nachman. So as Rav Nachman gave the ruling, then Rav Huna Barchia and behind him Rav Yosef. Amalei Rav Huna Barchia, Rav Nachman. Rav Huna Barchia said to Rav Nachman, "Dino Knasa, when you're making this guy who pointed out the wheat pay, is that like is that the law or is that a fine?" Um, so Amalei Masnitzini says, "I don't know. It's a Mishnah." He didn't say I don't know. Anyway, he says, "But Ditnan Imagim was a Gazan Chayv Lahamid Lo Sada." It says if the Gazan was to blame, you have to replace it. Vukimna Da'achli Achluye and the tradition that we have to interpret what that Mishnah means is that the Gazan is not really Gazan he just pointed out where the wheat was where the field was and that creates liability okay now but, now, but, I, but I'm not I don't know whether it's a, whether you know or I'm not saying I don't know whatever I, that whether it's whether it's Mamun or Knas but soon enough after he left Emily Rav Yosef Rav Hunabarchia Rav Yosef was sitting two rows back says Rav Hunabarchia my Nafil Chamina why do you ask the question what does it make to you whether it's considered din like that's actually this, you know the law or whether it's just a because if it's din, then it's, it represents a basic principle of law. And if it represents a principle of law, we can apply it to all cases that follow that same principle. But if it's a fine, then it's, like an arbit- then it's relatively arbitrary. There's no deeper principle here. And maybe every circumstance is different, right? Maybe this guy was a, guy, a habitual person. Maybe it was a certain time that it was necessary to stamp down on this. There's a lot of circumstantial issues that come up with whether we should impose fines. That's a di- all right. That's a different question. I know the answer. Okay, that's actually a, a, a Torah knas. Anyway, but The point is, anyway, if it's a knas, you can't just extrapolate. Oh, wait, if you can't do a Torah knas, uh, yeah, I mean, for people cheirem, there's a lot of like an, an extra judicial thing. Anyway, we not the miknas And how do you know that from knas you cannot extrapolate? That if somebody makes somebody's grain tamay or pours somebody's wine to avodah they have to pay for it. Now the point, point is, is that that tezekenu nikar, the damage is not visible. You can't see that the that the grain is tamay or the wine has been poured to avodah And even though non-visible damage, you normally should be exempt. They nevertheless said that you had to pay. 
Okay, that's what they said originally. You mean because the whole barrel now is a problem? Because the part you spilled is obviously a Yeah, or you could spill it from one to another, but yes. Then they said, you know what, not only that case, even if you mixed up truma grain into chulin grain, because now the whole thing has to be treated like truma and has less of a market value. Okay, so chazru in, only they went back and they gave a new ruling. Lo chazru lo. But if they had not given a new ruling, you could not have extended it. My time, but what's the reason? Rav mishum deknasi, it must be because this isn't the din. The din is hezekinu nikar, is not hezek. It's a sign. We couldn't extrapolate. So if they wanted to apply it to another case, it needed another ruling. So here you see something that is a fine, you cannot extrapolate to other cases. Someone says, no, no, it's not necessarily a fine. Maybe it was a din, but there was a logic why they thought that it might not extend to the third case. Even a din has parameters. That this would only apply to cases of large loss, right? Because the Matami and Manasseh were the whole wine, basically became unusable. As a small loss, they weren't concerned. A small loss was mixing it up with the truma with the other grain because it's not, because it's just now has a truma status, but you don't have to basically throw it out. Over the In the end, they figured, you know what, we're going to apply it even to cases of small loss. Now, the funny thing is, saying it's a concern of degree of loss does not seem to me to be a consideration of din, right? It seems to me to be a consideration of policy, right? I mean, if this type of an act has liability, it shouldn't matter big loss or small loss. To say it will only apply in cases of big loss and not small is a policy consideration, which to me seems to suggest knas. So it seems interesting that the Gemara has an idea that there's a concept of din that somehow factors in policy considerations. Uh, maybe that's true. Maybe everybody agrees me. Iker hadin your putter has a kenu nicker loch may has eight. Okay, but we're going to extend rabbinically the definition of hezek, and the way we're extending it is by taking into under certain circumstances to take in policy considerations, but we're still conceptualizing it as a type of a hezek, and we're not conceptualizing it as a fine. You say, the people hear my point, meaning normally policy leads to knas, policy doesn't lead to din. Okay, so part of this issue is not just what motivates us to be doing this, you know, maybe we're motivated due to policy concerns that people are getting out of hand, but in the end of the day, how do we frame it? Do we frame it as now an expansion of the halacha, or do we frame it as a fine that we're imposing on someone? Okay, so any Anyway, so it says you can't learn from here because it could be din, but there's still a logic to distinguish between the cases. So the Gemara says one minute. avud but the father Rebbe Avin teaches the Bryce in a different way. First, they only applied it to the case of making the grain tame or mixing it up. Then they said even pouring it to avodazara. Now that the second case is a bigger hesed. Okay, the, the wine is worthless. So so why didn't they just logically extrapolate? So chazu is. And only when they went back and legislated again, lo chazu lo. Otherwise, not. My time. What's the reason? Obviously, logically, that case certainly should have logically been included. It must be because we're seeing this as a fine, and even though logically other cases should be included, you can't extrapolate if it's based on a, fa- a concept of fine. So the man says, "Whoa, no, it's not why it is." No, it's based on din, and even based on din, there would be a reason to exclude the case of wine, of pouring the wine to Avodah Why? It's the debate of Rabbi Avin and Rabbi Yermia. Originally they thought wine you would not have to pay by pouring to Avodah Like Rabbi Avin. Somebody on Shabbos shot an arrow, and you're considered carrying when it goes four Amos in Rishos Harabim. Okay? So you shot the arrow, and at the two Amma marker, it tore through somebody's 
nice uh, shirked. And then it landed for, at the end of the four Amos. Do you say, right, you're doing an act that's liable to be for, for the death penalty, in the process of the act, something is being damaged, you're exempt. Do you consider this to be while the act is being done, or is the act of is only taking place when the arrow rests? And in the in the and the pathway, it's not yet the act of Chil Shabbos. Okay, so originally. Yes, but is the but does kimli apply to any part of the process? Or does kimli only apply to the moment when you're chayiv? Okay, so a putter. So he says you're exempt. Sharei akiras tzarech anochi. The 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 picking up the you know the whole act of chilul shabbos requires all these components. It needs to be picked up. It needs to be put down for amos later, and it needs to travel for amos. So therefore, all of this is part of the act of chilul shabbos, and we say kimli, and you're exempt. And that's why they were originally said you're exempt for the pouring of the wine because you're doing it in an act that's chayav nisa, in an act of avodah Okay, umitchayev benavsho, and you're liable. Ulubasov savi in the end he held kirebi yirmiya, like Rebbe Yirmiya, Dama Rebbe Yirmiya. Mishas had bakanye, yichayev leimamon. Rabbi Yirmiya said specifically about the case of Yain Esach that it's not the same why is it not the same because he said he said or not the same but he basically disagrees anyway he says when you pick up the wine you're Chayev for Geneva and when you're and you're not Chayev for Avodah until you pour it okay so we act, now one way to read that is he would argue on the Shabbos case as well and he would say I don't care if it's during the process of the act we only say Kimwe at the moment of liability so the moment of liability by the arrow is at the end and only then would we say Kimwe not during the process and the moment of liability by pouring the wine is when the wine is poured not and but the act of Geneva you know of course you could say it's ma, is it Geneva or is it Mazik the act of Geneva came when the wine was picked up okay so therefore that's that's why, I mean, this is a very whole interesting sugya, and we don't have really time to unpack that. But the point is, it could be debated whether you say Kimle in this case, and therefore that was the issue. So it is Din, it's not, it doesn't matter whether it's Din or whether it's Knas. Oh, now I realize what I was saying it wrong. I apologize. I apologize. Okay. The reason is, I mentioned before that because of the policy considerations, it was sounding like it was Knas. It is assuming it's Knas. It's not a question whether, whether this payment here about the Tami Midamea is Din or Knas. Clearly it's knas. The din is hezek keno nicker, lo shmei hezek. You should not be paying. Clearly any payment here is seen of as a type of a knas. Okay, the question is, can you extrapolate from one ruling of knas and extend it to other logically similar ones? Okay, so the f- answer is, you see if they needed another ruling, you can't extrapolate. And the Gemara would say, no, you can extrapolate, but only in ones that are logically similar. Okay, so the case, so initially the question was, a case of lesser loss isn't logically similar. So even if you are allowed to extrapolate by knas, they couldn't extrapolate to include the case of lesser loss. Here they're saying, even if it's knas and you can extrapolate, it wouldn't necessarily apply to a case of kimle. Okay, and this might have been constituted a kimle, and that was the question, whether, whether this was a case of kimle or not. Alright? So anyway, this is all a bit of a digression, but it gets us to the question of when you're saying you have to pay for pointing out that field, this is an important question. Is that seen as a knas and a way of stamping down on, you know, behavior that obviously is injurious to society? Or is this seen as a type of a din that you brought about damage of something else that's like a 
garmi. By the way, that's a whole debate in the Rishonim about garmi in general, right? When you burn somebody's uh, shtaros, other cases of garmi, you put poison in front of somebody's animal or whatever the case might be, right? Is that a knas as a way of punishing and stopping the behavior or is it a pace of din? Is it an expansion of what it means to damage somebody's property? Okay? So that's the question here and the logical question is if it's knas, you might not be able to extrapolate. The case of knas was hezek shenu nikr and the Gemara says, no, maybe you can extrapolate but you have to extrapolate within logical parameters and some of those would not have been normal extensions of the same case. Okay. So now the Gemara continues. Um, uh, okay. Rav Huna Bar Yehuda equal the of Avioni. So Rav Huna Bar Yehuda Rav Yehuda came to this place of, bar, of, of, of the house of Avioni. Also the Kami Demar. Yeah. Avioni is usually right. 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 Also the Kami Ravi came to Ramar. I'm like Kumas about Yadcha. Hey, how you doing there, Rava? Have any interesting things happened to you this last week? I'm like, yeah. You know what? Yisrael Shansu of the Kuchavim there, Maman Chaver Bal Yadi. I had a case where a Jew was forced, and here we have the case Jen right about explicitly being forced and pointed out property of a non-Jew um, and I made him reimburse um, so he said to so he said to Rava you know what you should go ahead and reverse your ruling and give the money back to the guy who pointed it out why? if a Jew is forced by non-Jews and he pointed out his friend's money he's exempt only if he literally picks it up and hands it over is he chayev now there's a very interesting debate in the Rishonim what is the difference of pointing out and handing over so Rashi says the basic difference is that handing over you're doing more than is asked of you and therefore you're not forced to hand it over you could have just said where it is and you you know said hey let me, let me help you and you went and you had you you know you, you picked it up and you delivered it okay and that makes you because in that act of delivering it nobody was holding a gun to your head all you had to do was point and you now actively took it without being forced to take it so then you're, you're the Ganev, you're the Mazik. All right? So if that would mean if they would actually hold the gun to your head and make you hand it over, you would be exempt. Other Rishonim, the Rif and others, say the Gemara should have then just distinguished between whether you were forced in that moment or not forced. Right? It's not really about handing it. And they say even with the gun to your head, okay, you actually are liable, which is a very strange point. Like, what are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to give up your life. You might remember, by the way, a while ago we learned a discussion about whether Mutal Adam are you allowed to save yourself? Now, it is very strange to think you have to give up your life rather than cause damage to your friend's property, so most of you shouldn't understand the question is, fine, you're allowed to do it, but you still have to pay for it. Okay? So, yes, you're allowed. Nobody is going to make you up in heaven say, how could you do a sin of gzela? Of course, you know, your life was at stake. Nobody's going to blame you morally for doing it, but nevertheless, your friend's property was destroyed. Why should your friend have to be the one that paid? He lost his property in the process of you saving your life. You should be the one to be reimbursing him for that. Okay? Still, with all of that being said, it is a little bit strange if the gun is being held to your head. It's one thing to say, I don't know, like, you know, uh, I'm... Uh, Somebody is running after me, and I take Michael's, you know, whatever I take. I, ta- I, I you take know, I take my iPhone and I throw it at the guy to distract him, so I run away. So then, okay, I broke his iPhone and saving my life. I should reimburse him for his iPhone. Okay, here the guy holds a gun to my head and says, "Show me where Michael's iPhone is." When I act or hand me over Michael's iPhone, I take it over. How much am I really doing that? Right? How much? There, the whole act is compelled, and it shouldn't even be attributed to me and seen as my act. So that is a little bit different. Never or lot. 
lot different. Nevertheless, that is how a number of Rishonim read it. If I actively do it, even if a gun is held to my head, nobody is blaming me for it. Of course, it's what I was supposed to do, but I have to reimburse. Yes, Jenna. I feel like the difference between the iPhone example and the, the land example right. is what, like, someone's coming after you and right. you use whatever's in the area that happens to save your life. Right. You're the one, like, in trouble. Right. right. Whereas the land one, this army is clearly going after Michael. Right. right. So it's not about you. You're, like, that's even a good, That's even a better point. That's, I mean, that's just strengthening my point that with the gun to your head, you're just sort of being right. used by them. You're really not even an agent in that. Right. Different if you're the one handing it over somehow. <laughs> like, even if they were putting the, telling me to hand it over. Yeah, that like somehow you're more involved in the land in that way. Like if they're just asking you to point it out, okay, you say no, they're gonna ask the next person. Like it's all about you. right. It makes you more. But again, all of that could be as if I choose to hand it over, right? With a gun to your head, and what you act strengthens it, right? Not only am I being used by them without being an agent here, right? My agency doesn't exist really in this case. But your point is right. They're anyway not interested me, they're interested in the land. So, to say it, Rashi's reading that I didn't have to hand it over, I could have just pointed out as a better, makes more logical sense, but many Rishonim read this to mean, even with the gun to my head, I have to reimburse. So, yes. I understand how the parallel is for the land, because from the top of the land, I, I pick it up. No, when we're no longer talking specifically no, for about okay, land. It says, it says, not the Lenosan, we're not talking about yet land. There are Mamon Havero. Mamon Havero. Right, no. so, so then what do you, so, but land, there is no not the Lenosan yet. Right. So okay, then, so then. So then is it more Lakula or more it would be more Lakula than with a gun to your head you'd always be exempt because you could never actually physically right. hand it over right, right. right. Uh, well no just her case wasn't limited to land okay so the Gemara says like this um, okay if you volunteer the information by pointing it out then it's like you handed then it's like you handed it over great so again that raises the question though is the handing over because you didn't have to hand it over or not but certainly if you did it on yourself and you have an agency you weren't compelled that's an obvious case you should be hired so a certain person was forced by a by the non-Jews and he pointed out the wine of Rav Mari etc the son of Rav Chizda okay and then the question was is he now going to have to reimburse so come with us and let's you know load yourself up let's go on a journey let's go to court and see whether you have to reimburse or not. Darva Amti Badai went with an Azulakamid Ravasi. Him's Ravasi. Patrinu. Patrina Ravasi said, You're exempt, you don't have to reimburse. Amale Rabban Ravasi Vatani Nasavanasan Biat Chayev. One minute, didn't we say if you hand over with your hand directly your chayev? Now of course it didn't say that he handed over. It just said Ahve, he pointed it out. But anyway, presumably it sounds like the case was he picked it up and handed it over. That is if they're not directly standing over the property they're trying to seize. He originally got, you know, he pointed it out. So they went, so they said, show us where the wine is. So he pointed it out, he said, and he, and he showed them where it was, okay? And there he was in the cellar with all the wine. And they said, great, now load up our truck with it, okay? So first, since they were already there, okay, in that case, Mikwakalye, it's like it's burnt up. As soon as the troops are in his cellar, okay, with the wine that he pointed out, and he yet hasn't physically handed it over, and at this stage, the wine is considered to already be destroyed. So, hand, so now, 
actively participating is no longer destroying his property. His property was already destroyed and that happened before he actively participated. Alright, so that's an interesting sort of loophole as it were. Alright, so now the Gemara says like this. Um, Asa, Meaning, so if they're already on someone's land and you point that out, is there... What's left to point out? No, uh, yeah, but it doesn't matter whether they moved or didn't move. The point is, if your active participation is after they're already standing over the property, if they say, go get us the wine, okay, even with a gun to your head, okay, then you're still participating. And by the way, that makes it make a little bit more sense. They can put a gun to my head and say, go get the wine, but still the fact is, I go, you know, if I'm not there with the gun to my head at the moment I'm picking it up, maybe that's why I'm still seen as a little bit more of an agent, you know? But if they're right there with me when it's happening, then it's already like, I would say I'm no longer an agent, but the Gemara is saying it's already like the object is destroyed. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this, Ezei Rabbi Avo Ravashi, Rabbi Avo Ravashi, Amalo Anas, so a, you know, not whatever, you know, a murderer, a bandit says, Hoshi li Pakia Amir, hand me over this bundle of, uh, of, uh, what, of, uh, of grain or something, um, or this cluster of grapes, and you hand it over, Chayev, so you're chayv, and it sounds like he's standing right there. So why are you chayv? It's not something not to be odd, but you just said that if you're standing right there, it's like the thing is already destroyed. So the Gemara says, No, you're on two opposite sides of the river. So actually, he's not able to take it himself. Okay, in that case, if he's not able to take it himself, then you are actively not, you know, giving it, and you're an active participant. Tikanami biktani hoshit, it says, it says, extend to me this. So lotani ten, not just give it to me. Shmanina. So now, now, although the Gemara again makes the distinction of if he's there or not, whether the object is considered destroyed, it also helps us understand a little bit why you're considered more of an agent, even though your life is being threatened. It's true your life is being threatened, but you're still now, he, the, the Ganav is not right directly over the object. You know, you're still bringing the object to the guy. And it's true that he's threatening that if you don't do it, he'll kill you, but you are still the one that sort of is, you know, there's a certain, some greater degree here of making it happen, you know, not totally directly being used by the guy, but exert, you know, make, you know, myself sort of there's some you know, greater sense of agency so that's some way of understanding a little more okay, so now the Gemara says like this Hahu Shuta so there was a certain uh, what's the shoot again here? Rashi says, hold on. Um, oh, right, a, a net, a fish net that was being uh, that was being debated, uh, fought over by two people. This one said it's mine. This one says it's mine. So one of them just basically handed it over to the king's officer. You know, said, uh, well, since we're fighting it and I'm never going to get it, sort of like a king Shlomo he's doing to himself. Might as well just give, you know give it up, give it to the king. Okay, no distractions. So then the other guy said, okay, you are a Moser, pay me for my net. So he says, he could say, it was my net I gave, I didn't go over your net. Okay, why would he be believed? He's claiming it, but they should have to first try to prove whose net it was. He can't just say, it was my net and walk away. Okay, so, we put, it, we put him in Cherem until he retrieves the net, and then we're able to have the court case over the net. So he has to restore it, even though this, because of the possibility that it belongs to the other person, 
Kohen until we can sort of, so that we can work out that case. Okay. Now we get to a really interesting story. A certain man was prepared to point out his friend's uh, uh, straw. Um, so, um, thing that's relatively trivial. It's just straw. Anyway, until coming to Rav. So he came to Rav. Now, whether he came to Rav to ask, is he allowed to do it? The friend took him to Rav. It's interesting. Anyway, you better not, don't point it out. Don't point it out. I don't care. I'm pointing it out. I'm going to do that to protect my life or whatever I'm doing it. Okay. So, now, Rav Kahana, so Rav Kahana was sitting in front of Rav. He broke the guy's neck. He wanted to prevent this guy from doing it. Now, he killed him. So much for his life being... It wasn't clear in this case whether the guy's life was being threatened or not, right? Uh, because until now, we might make you pay, but it doesn't seem like, you know, you have to, you have to, uh, whatever. Okay, Kari Ravi Luye... So, who broke the guy's neck? Rav Kahana broke the neck of the guy who was about to be Moser. Okay, so Rav said... Yeah. Rav said, Yep. So Rav said, Your, your, your children have, uh, you know, have... Uh, Fainted and lied down, you know, in the, you know, uh, you know, in the, you know, in the outdoors, like a trapped, uh, 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 whatever, uh, uh, bull or something. Um, the same way when the you know, bull falls in a trap, they have no compassion; they slaughter him. Israel, the money of the Jews. Once the non-Jews start seizing and getting involved, by, you know, start putting their eye on you, they have no compassion. Now, who do they, who do they not have compassion? Raji says it means then eventually the Jews' life will be at stake, which makes sense why he was sort of seeing this guy as a type of a road ace. Tosa says the guy's property they'll have no compassion on, which doesn't explain it okay, but then why could he kill this guy? You can't so, mean so, that, then, according to No, because we're going to, well, maybe, that's interesting, but that doesn't sound like that. It sounds like the Pusik is being quoted to somehow defend the action. Anyway, let's take a look where the story goes. Okay, You also, I think, have to assume that the guy's life wasn't being threatened, that he was somehow seen as some evil person that had to be stopped, right? I mean, if he was coming to Rav, presumably he had a choice whether to do it or not, right? Okay, so it sounds like it was a case that his, maybe his property was being threatened, but it sounds like he had a choice, okay? And he had a choice, and therefore, you, you know, to do it would be a terrible thing, such a terrible thing, it's not just a monetary issue, that, you know, you should, uh, Rav Kahana felt he had to take his life. So let's take a look. Um, Amalei Rav Kahana, Amalei Rav, yeah. So Rav said to him, deliberate, Rav Kahana did? Yep, it seems to be. So Rav said to him, Kahana, Kahana, Ara idna havu parsaid lo Until now, we were only being ruled by Persians. Persians don't care about murder. You could have gotten away with it. Vahasika Yivanai, now there are Greeks, the that are concerned about murder and you're not going to get away with it. Now, of course, question is, is the history right? Did the Greek come after the Persians or before? Which one really was? So if you look at the side, the side has the gear, so that's the exact flip. So your, your English has the Greeks? Oh, uh, yeah, the Greeks came after. But I mean, historically, the Greeks came after, right? Um, the Greeks came after the Persians when the Jews were in Bavel. Oh, oh well, I'm sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so um, uh, um, so anyway, so there's a question which the order was, and there's also a question who. Shivatzion was Persian. Shivatzion was Persian. Right. Right. And afterwards were Hellenists. Yeah, but the Hellenists in but in but in where the Jews were in Bavel, there were when were there Hellenists in Bavel? 
I don't know. Anyway. So what's the point, though? Why does it matter whether he's going to get away with the murder? Well, because we're going to see. He's going to have to go and hide if he's not going to get away with the murder. Means they're actually worried about it, then he shouldn't have done this anyway. Meaning, if the Greeks are mocking him. Okay, what's past is past now. The question is, are you? is there going to be repercussions? They're going to find out you murdered this guy, and you're going to, now you better run. No, no, what I'm saying is, then, if, if they actually are mocking him to murder, then presumably you didn't have to kill this guy, because they're not going to kill you for... Oh, for no, that's not what it means. No, no, that's not what it means. Well, okay. okay. Well, that was around the 3rd century B.C. or something. Right. Right. Persons before that, the Persian Empire. In Israel. But he took over all the lands of the... Alexander took over the whole... Right. world. Yeah. I don't know how it uh, Okay, so you're saying that when the Jews were in Bavel in the time of... I don't know. This is late, right? I mean, these were. Where, where the time of the. Anyway, I don't know enough of the history. Anyway, there's a question which is what the order was and which one cared about Jews murdering other Jews. But right now, we're dealing with a government that cares about Jews murdering other Jews. And, and so, you be, so, you, so you're in trouble. Okay? The army, and they say. What? What do you say? And, yeah, one second. I just got to read this next line. The Omri, and they say, Mardin, Mardin, which I would like to read as murder, murder. I don't know if that's exactly what they say. They translate it as murder, murder. So anyway, they'll say you're a murderer. So in that case, Kum Sakhar Yisrael, go run to Israel, so go hide from the from the authorities. So Kabbalah and accept upon yourself to lot tikkilu Reb Yochanan So of course you're going to go to Israel. You're going to want to go to the yeshiva. The yeshiva you're going to want to go to Reb Yochanan. So accept upon yourself that you don't challenge him for seven years. Now why is that it's not clear. Like, did he, you know, is that to not be discovered by the authorities? Is that because even though you killed this guy and it could be defendable, defensible, you really shouldn't have killed him? So it's a type of a gullus and an onus that you're imposing on yourself. Never really spelled out why he's not supposed to ask for seven years. What does Cohen say about Greeks? During Rome's lifetime, after many generations of the empire being ruled by the Parthians, the Persian Empire underwent a fundamental change and the new Sassanid emperors from central Persia came to power. Although the Parthians were also Persian, they had been culturally more influenced by the Greeks who had preceded them in the region of their empire than the Sassanids were. Uh huh. So originally it was the Hellenized Persians. Came after the Hellenized Persians. Right, so originally it was the Hellenized Persians, and then it's the non-Hellenized Persians, right? And then it's the Persians that are more... So, right. And the Hellenized Persians didn't care as much about Jews murdering other Jews as the right. real Persians did? It was, a more, uh, it was a form of feudalism in which the central government exerted loose control, allowing a high degree of autonomy both for provincial leaders, often called kings, and for different ethnic and religious groups. Ah, so since it was an internal Jewish thing, right. so originally it was the Hellenized Persians, and it was more internal Jewish, and you could get in away with it. Now we've got... Inter- very nice, okay. Okay. All right. Good use of the card there. Okay. Now let's get let's read a little bit of this great story. Okay. So Rav Kana ran to Israel and he found Reish Lakish. He was finishing the Chazarah for the rabbis. Reish Lakish was Rav Yochanan's prime Talmud and uh, colleague, and he was reviewing the lesson for all the other rabbis of the academy. So Rav Kana said to the other rabbis, Reish Lakish, where's Reish Lakish? Amule, they said to Amule, am I? Why do you want to know? Amule, hi kushiva, hi kushiva, because I have this question and this question. And then I have this answer and this answer. So, like, he, you know, he was showing how, whatever, like, you know, all the problems he had and all the answers, right? Amule, Reish Lakish. They said to Reish Lakish, there's this guy that came from Bavel and he's asking all these kashas on the, on the shir. Other Reish Lakish, you know, what you told over in the name of Reb Yochanan. Other Reish Lakish, Amule, Reb Yochanan. Reish Lakish went and told Reb Yochanan, Ari Alami Bavel. A lion came up from 
Bavel. Go and pay, look into the sugi you're going to teach tomorrow because he's going to challenge you a lot or whatever. You know, he really, you got to be, you got some new student here. Okay, the next day, they put Rav Kana in the first row of the base medrash, right, for the prize students. Now, coming to Rav Yochan, in front of Rav Yochan, and now remember, he had accepted upon himself to not challenge Rav Yochanan for seven years. Amar Shmaitatas, Rav Yochanan taught some sugya, and he was silent, he didn't ask. Shmaitatas, another teaching, and he was silent. So they put him to the back of the class. Okay, seven, seven rows in the back. Until they put him at the very back row. The lion you were talking about, Nasashual. It turns out to be a fox. So Amar, so Rav Kahana heard this, was very offended. He said, Hey, Rava, may be God's will. The honey Shavadari, the seven rows that I was put back, should be an exchange of the seven years of silence that I had accepted upon myself, the Amili, or that Rav had imposed upon me, the Amili Rav, that Rav had imposed on me. He got up on his feet. He said, Can you please hazer the first thing you were saying today? So Amar Shmaitit, so he went back, he told over the first teaching of Yochanan, and he challenged it. So he kept on challenging everything all over again. So they put him to the first row. Amar Shmaitit, and then he kept on challenging. So what are you going to do more to show how important he is, right? So Rabbi Yochanan had Yossi Vasheva Bastarki. Rabbi Yochanan was sitting on seven pillows. Shalfei Lechada Bastarka Mituse. So they removed one pillow. Pillow from under him. Um, um, he told another, you know, sugi over. And Rav Kana counts again. So every time Rav Kana asked a question that Rav Yochanan did not have a good answer for, like the whole point is that Rav Yochanan didn't respond. It was a, he, he, you know, con- he, you know, he showed that he was wrong. He slugged him up, as we would say in the yeshiva. So every time he did that, Rav Yochanan lowered his status. He took another pillow out. Okay. So all the pillows were removed from underneath him. Sitting on the ground. Now, Rabbi Yochanan Gavasava, Rabbi Yochanan was very old. And his eyelashes were very long. And his eyebrows. No, eyelashes were very long. So he said, lift up my eyes, like, you know, lift up my eyelashes so my, so my eyelids will be lifted. And then I could see him. They lifted it up to him with, like, silver tongs. So, by the way, um, what's his name from uh, YU? Um, um, what's the name of the guy that does uh, the Arab academic Talmud and the Babylonian context of the Gemara? Elman. Yaakov Elman points out that here they're telling a story about Rabbi Yochanan that lives in Eretz Yisrael, but they're telling it totally through this Persian, like this Babylonian lens of these like stories, you know, because in the Babylonian stories or whatever, you know, they're like the uh, ruler or whatever it is, is this big heavy guy and he's sitting on these, uh, all of these pillows and he has these long eyelashes that are being lifted up with silver tongs. Apparently it's like a trope you know, in terms of like these Babylonian stories, and now it's being read onto Rabbi Yochanan, who's living in Eretz Yisrael. The whole idea that tends to be that in the Gemar Bavli, they imagine the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael are through a Babylonian lens. But here, even the, just the whole visuals are very Babylonian. Anyway, okay, so, um, 
Okay, so uh, so they lifted up his eye, his eyelids. The part they they saw that Rabbi Chana's lips were split. That was just a physical condition he had. But he thought, Rabbi Yochanan thought, he was laughing at it. That Rabbi Chana was mocking him. So Rabbi Yochanan felt this, you know despondent. He was like that he was so pained that this Talmud now was mocking him. So so not Rabbi Yochanan. So of course Rabbi Yochanan feeling bad caused Rabbi Kahana to die. Okay, that was the pa- what? That was the because that was the, that was the punishment. Yeah, you see, since he went to the, maybe didn't, maybe Rob anticipated this or something. So it's sort of like Rav Kana went into Gullus. The irony of going into Gullus is going to Eretz Israel. Okay, he went into Gullus because he didn't really keep the terms of the Gullus. He wound up dying as a result. No, but and also he broke the guy's neck. Right. This is his ultimate. I know. That's what I meant. He killed somebody. He went into Gullus. What do you do by killing? You go into Gullus. Okay, and uh, as a result of not keeping the terms of the Gullahs in the end Rav Kahana died so there seems to be some yes paying back for killing this guy that Rav was not totally happy with what Rav Kahana had done if he had followed that silence he would have been protected yes then his, then his punishment would have been seven years because also it's to, to not be able to engage in Torah would have been a real you know not just geographic Gullahs for Rav Kahana it would have been a real punishment for Rav Kahana right exactly but because he didn't then uh, there was, it wasn't a real Gullahs and then this was the kind that seems to be the point okay but yes but it's this idea that when a rabbi is angry at somebody that can lead in that person's death is a common trope also in rabbinic literature so this tribe in a sense also uh, causes downfall because um, if he had uh, you know it might have been this Pride that made him feel he had to do this. So maybe that could be. That could be. Okay, he might stand right. He had, like the same point. He had to get up. Like before he got. Did it say before he was kamakare? No, it didn't use that phrase. It just says he broke his neck. But the same thing. Like he had to get up and do something about it. That's interesting. Okay. So lemacha the next day. Amalei Reb Yochanan Lorabanan. Reb Yochanan said to the rabbis, Did you see how that Babylonian treated me? He's not feeling bad that he's dead. That kind of dead. Did you see what he, how he treated me? Amalei. They said to him, well, that was just his normal way he looks. That's the, you know, that's the way he talks. It's a, it's a physical condition. So, oh my God, he realized that he wasn't being mocked. He realized he did the wrong thing. Rib Yochanan. Al-Lagabi Ma'arta. So he went to the cave where, uh, Reish Lakish was, uh, where, where, where Rav Kahana was buried. Chaza. He saw that there was the that there was a snake that was protecting the cave, and what we're going to see in a minute, the images, the snake eating its own tail, which I think is also like a very more Persian or Oriental type of an image. Okay. I don't think you're allowed to say Oriental anymore. Okay, more Persian type of an image. Okay, Amalei, so he said to it, Achna, Achna, snake, snake, Ptach Pumcha, open up your mouth, and let the master enter in to the student. The snake wouldn't open up its mouth. Let one Kali go and greet his other Kali. The snake didn't open up its mouth. Let the student, he's calling himself a student, to Rav Kahana, enter and greet the Rav. He opened it up. So it's so funny. Even though Rav Kahana sort of suffered this, and I think there's some sense of justly punishment or whatever, nevertheless underscoring the idea that Rav Kahana was such a greater, you know, Torah sage than Rabbi Yochanan. By Rachme, but Rabbi Yochanan still had powers. So Rabbi Yochanan prayed for him, the Ukme, and he revived him, even though he had died. Okay, I guess if you could cause him to die, you could cause him to come back to life. Amalei, yeah, so Rabbi Yochanan said to him, If I had known that that was just your normal, you know, way, that was like a physical condition, Rochel Shadaita would not have been despondent. Like he never really directly said he, by the way, it's also interesting, right? Rabbi Kahana, 
willfully caused somebody's death, you know, and here he, uh, uh, you know, unintentionally. One also wonders, it's just occurring to me now, this idea of darche hachi, you know, the guy who was being forced to show the grain also to some degree was not totally doing it of his own will. You know, he might not have had a gun to his head, but to some degree he was being compelled by circumstances, right? So the same way Rabbi Yochanan sort of, oh, had I known that was you, you couldn't really control it, I wouldn't have reacted this way. You could sort of wonder to reimpose that on the earlier case with the way Rav Kahana acted. Anyway, he says, Hashta leisimar b'hadan. Come back with me, back to the yeshiva. Amr lei, so Rav Kahana, you know, says, what is it? Fool me once, shame on me. So kill me once, shame on me. <laughs> no, kill me once, shame on you. Kill me twice, shame on me. Okay, Amr lei, if you'll pray to God that I won't die again, I don't know if that means ever or as a result of things you do, Azlina, I'll go with you. Be low, but if you're not, you can't ensure me that this won't happen again. Low Azlina, I won't go with you. Hold the chali you know, once we, you know, mir- miracles only happen, uh, you know, you know, when miracle happened once, that was our one good opportunity that you brought me back to life. She can't promise me it's not going to happen again. I'm not going to go. Okay. Tyre, he woke him up. It was funny. He was already talking to him, but whatever. He further revived him. Ukne, he stood him up. Shaili Kosek of the Havile, and Rav Yochanan asked Rav Kahana all the questions Rav Yochanan had never resolved for himself. Upashkina Nihali and Rav Kahana was able to answer them all for Rav Yochanan. That's what Yochanan says. Yochon Amri, when you say you, the Bnei Eretz Yisrael, you think the Torah is ours? Pilohonu. It really is the Torah of Babel. They really know the Torah better than we do. Okay, that's the end of that story. Of course, we will leave very fascinating questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You couldn't tell from the way that story concluded. All right.